Open your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, we looked at the bricks without straw disaster last week. And we looked a little bit at Moses' complaint. And I want to revisit Moses' complaint in the last two verses of chapter 5. And then it just really struck me that God doesn't answer the question. Moses said why, and God does not give him a reason why. Instead, God reiterates his promise, and that is still how God deals with us. We say why, and God says, I will save you. But why, Lord? I will save you. Exodus 5. So Moses returned to the Lord, verse 22, and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Let's pray. Father, let us see your salvation. Our hearts long for it. Teach us that the fulfillment of your promise is better than the answers to our questions. Help us to find the meaning not in your account of exactly why you did such and such. But rather, help us to look to what you've already told us about what you will do. Wiping away our tears. Giving us a permanent room in your house in heaven forever. Letting us know you and walk with you and be your people as you will be our God. Lord, help me to speak boldly about what's written in this text. Help us all to see Jesus and to hear his promises. We pray these things, Father, in his name. Amen. Well, as we've seen, this first part of Exodus is like another book of Job. It's one long engagement with the problem of evil as God's people suffer under this relentless grinding slavery that only appears to get worse right up until the time when Pharaoh finally caves in and lets them go. The characters suffer horrible things like Job did, and then they sit down and talk with God about it, also like Job did. Moses, in our text tonight, has a five-item gripe list that he brings and presents before the Almighty. God doesn't answer the why questions. God doesn't respond to the gripes other than to reiterate his promise, which he does in a short form in verse 1, and then in a long form in verses 2 through 8. We're going to see this next time, how God discloses his identity to Moses. Once again, as he did in chapter 3, so he does here in chapter 6, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. And then he describes what that means, and then he closes it out in verse 8 with, I am Yahweh. Moses, again, is learning the knowledge of God. This book of Exodus is about the knowledge of God. Who is the Lord? 
Moses wants to know, why does the Lord do X, Y, and Z? God doesn't answer that. He answers instead, here's my promise. And that's how you and I should comfort one another too. So Moses wants to know why. Do any of these gripes sound familiar? The five gripes, why have you brought evil? Why have you sent me to make everything worse? I did what you wanted. I spoke in your name. You didn't come through. Some or all of these may sound like conversations you've had with the Lord at various points in your life. But Moses' first question is really the biggest one. Why have you brought evil on this people? Most translations shy away from that word evil and put in trouble instead to shun the very idea that the Lord might do evil. And the Hebrew word can mean trouble, physical disaster, as well as moral evil. The text is not suggesting that God was morally evil in his treatment of the Israelites. But at the same time, we can recognize that what happened to them was evil. What Pharaoh was doing was evil. To enslave them, to commit genocide against them, to take away their straw, all of that is evil. And God could have prevented it. But he didn't. Now we often think that the worst part of suffering is not knowing the reason for the suffering. If only I knew why I was suffering, then I wouldn't mind it so much. But when I have this pain in my leg, I can imagine that it's cancer. I can imagine that it's all kinds of horrible things that are going to do me in. If I happen to know that it's just because I walked into the table in the night, then I'm not so worried about it. I know why. We human beings have this desire to know why. God, give me the explanation. God doesn't always, God in fact doesn't often give that explanation. Why not? We don't know why not. Maybe it's because we wouldn't understand the explanation. You tried to explain to a four-year-old what a GFI outlet is? Why the countertop needs one but the dishwasher does not? It... It's difficult. Maybe you and I would not understand any explanation that God could give us or would give us. We don't know that that's the case. That's speculation. But we do know that when we go to God and say why, he doesn't respond with a comprehensive account. I thought of some whys right away. Maybe you want to know why your family has suffered from a history of racial discrimination. Maybe you want to know why you lived when your little brother died in that car wreck. Maybe you want to know why God has allowed Russia more suffering than any other European nation. Or why your health is poor. Why your dad had that asbestos exposure in the Navy. Why some are saved. Some are lost. Why the gospel took root in England, but not in China. Why Islam overtook the once Christian lands of the Middle East. Why? We can look for historical causes of some of these things. We can trace out 
in human terms, what led to these various disasters? Well, all we can say, though, is that God knows and that the explanation of why would likely make no more sense than what we already know. Moses wants to know, God, why is there evil in this world? Why do bad things happen to your people? And why have you put me in the middle of it? Why did you send me to make everything worse? Moses had left life in Egypt behind. He was in Midian, in what is today Jordan, on the shores of the Gulf of Aqaba, shepherding his father-in-law's flock. People of Israel were not in great shape, but they had decent jobs in the brick fields. They had the straw they needed. Obviously, at least Aaron survived it for 83 years. He was still there. Why did you send me, God? The status quo was acceptable. When I came in as a prophet and poked the hornet's nest, then things started to get worse. Why does no good deed go unpunished? Right? As a pastor, you can say, why does my congregation hate me after I've served them day and night for 15 years? Why do my kids never want to talk to me when I was working all those long hours precisely because I loved them and wanted to take care of them? Why did my conversion precipitate my divorce? Why did joining the church make the pastor hate me? Why did my attempt to confront my mom poison our relationship? Status quo was okay, and then I tried to obey God in that status quo. And things nosedived then and there. Moses wants to know why God let that happen. Maybe you want to know why God would let that happen. And Moses just piles it on. I did what you wanted. I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name. God, I argued about this with you. I gave you five good reasons why I shouldn't do this. You remember that, God? Moses did, he truly did fight God on this. And now, unfortunately, he feels vindicated. I said I won't deliver them. You told me to go anyway. Now, usually it's a bit of a stretch when we go to God and say, I did what you wanted. Maybe we get it 60 or 70% right and take credit for doing it 100% right. But in general, I know this congregation and I know that you try to do what God wants. Moses adds, I spoke in your name. The things I said, I said because I thought you wanted me to say them. God, I didn't do this because it was my idea. That's the gripe list. What have you done in the name of God? Maybe you've shown hospitality. Maybe you've given your all to a Christian nonprofit. Loved and worked for and worried over your kids for 20 years. 
Given a gift to your pastor that he appears to not appreciate. Loaned a vehicle to a church member. And seen that, well, really abused. Tried to share the truth with a loved one. In the name of God, I did these things. And this is the thanks I get. This is how much worse off my people are after I do this. Sometimes these good deeds bring bad consequences from our own flawed execution, from the evil and rage of the world and Satan, and from the bitter providence of a good and loving father. Why, God? When we do it your way, we give up our own ideas and pursue what we're sure you told us to do, Why does it have to hurt? Why does it have to make things worse? If you're feeling that pain today, know that Moses felt it too. God didn't come through. You have not delivered your people at all. Maybe you've given lots of money to a dud organization. Seen your work for this denomination or some other broken and lost because you followed Jesus' way rather than the world's. Maybe you prayed for God to convert one of your loved ones, stop a drug addiction, keep your parents together, take away your same-sex attraction, or a million other scenarios. And your prayers apparently did nothing at all. Moses' pain, right here in the pages of Scripture. These are not the complaints of a non-Christian. Having these questions does not make you someone outside the faith. No, far from it. These are the words of a mighty servant of God. How? What? What? What's the deal, God? Moses speaks from a heart of pain and God doesn't say, now I will explain to you, Moses. Moses, let me explain to you why my plan was correct. Right? That's the human way to respond to complaints. Just got a complaint in my inbox yesterday. Something at Presbytery, I'm the moderator I set up a committee. The man who's done that committee for the last 20 years didn't like the way I set up the committee. Wrote to me and let me know that. So what's no instinct number one? I set up this committee this way for very good reasons. You don't understand what you're complaining about. My reasons are better than your reasons. We all know how that goes. We've all gone to a human being with a complaint and then we've heard the why question answered. And about 30 seconds later, we're bored out of our minds. Because, let's face it, other people's long-winded explanations of why they were perfectly correct 
and why the reason they did what they did made sense and you're wrong and your pain is an unfortunate casualty because their reasons were absolutely impeccable. It's just, it's bothersome. I asked why, but when I find out your reasons, to tell you the truth, I really didn't want to know. Knowing the person's reasons doesn't take away your pain. And I mentioned giving your all to a Christian nonprofit. Maybe you know, maybe you understand why that nonprofit sucked your life dry. You get it. But you've still been sucked dry. Right? You know the why. And it doesn't resolve your pain. People's accounts of why they were right after all tend to be tedious at best. The Almighty does not indulge in such things. What am I saying? We can, in fact, be grateful that God does not tell us why. We don't like it when other people tell us why. But God doesn't say why. Instead, he says, now you'll see. Moses, you have a five-item gripe list. Now you'll see. Not now you'll see why your gripes are irrelevant. Now you'll see why your people's pain doesn't matter. Not now you'll see that I was right all along. No, God drops the past. Forget the past. Now you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. Moses has complaints about the past. God has promises for the future. God will take action. So much so that with a strong hand, Pharaoh will let them go. With a strong hand, he will drive them out. It's not clear whether Pharaoh has the strong hand against Israel or whether God has the strong hand against Pharaoh in this verse. At the end of the day, doesn't really matter. God's promise is that Pharaoh will crumble. God will push evil until it dies and he wins. That's the answer to the problem of evil. Why is there evil? So God can push it. So that he can squeeze it right out of existence. How, God? How will you do that? Well, that's not our problem. God will do it in his own way. But he will do it. Now you'll see. And he'll do it in front of us. He makes a promise and he promises that you will get to see the fulfillment of that promise. Pharaoh will send out the people. You'll get to see the thing you've labored for come to pass. If it's something God has promised. Like the advancement of the kingdom. The rule of Christ. The sanctification of your heart. You will see that promise fulfilled. It doesn't mean that you'll see particular individuals converted. Particular sin struggles overcome in others who may or may not be believers. But you will see every sin struggle overcome in the life of every Christian. In this life or the next. You will see your own sin struggles 
vanish. You will see God's promises of the new heavens and the new earth and the deliverance from this present evil age. So don't speculate to yourself or your Christian friends about why God sent a particular evil into your life. It's not bad necessarily to say, wow, through that bad experience, I learned to let go, you know, to hold my things more loosely. I learned that God's plan is better than mine. If you learned a moral truth, that's great. But don't say, God sent me this trial because of X sin. I needed God to take that away. Well, that could be the case. But God doesn't get into that with Moses here. I did this to the people because they need to learn that I will bring them out. The people did need to learn that. But God comforts us in our pain not by saying, you're learning so much. This pain is sanctifying you so much. Because when we instrumentalize pain like that, at the end of the day, we tend to imply that it's not evil after all. No, this is not a bad thing because this is a good thing in seed form. good that your baby died because that made you more like Jesus no evil remains evil evil is not primarily a soul making instrument or put another way evil is not a necessary step on the path to goodness as soon as you say that then you relativized evil Evil is just good in a different form. That is not the case. The Bible does not countenance that view of the problem of evil. Evil is just the seed version of good. Not at all. Evil is and remains evil. What Pharaoh was doing was not right. Yes, God brought good out of it. Yes, God revealed himself in it. But it was evil, and it is evil. God uses evil. But that doesn't make evil divine or godly or something that we valorize as, well, let's push each other. I'll do evil in your life, and that will shape you for good. Not even the Almighty does evil that good may come. Nor should we. Brings about good in and through evil. But he doesn't do evil. Nor should we. So what's the answer to our why question? God will keep his promises. That's how you and I have to answer why questions. We answer them the way God answered them here. Our Lord on the cross calls out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
If anybody knew the answer to that question, surely it would be the Son of God. Yet he asked it anyway. And what was the answer that he got from his father? The resurrection. Seeing his seed, prolonging his days, the will of the Lord prospering in his hand. What was God's answer to that question? You will see my salvation. You will get to watch the fulfillment of my promises. The answer was not, this particular evil will work this particular good in your particular life. That wasn't the answer. That may have been true in a certain sense. But we encourage each other not with, oh, it'll be so good for you to have your car break down to have your foot cut off, to get this sickness, or to lose that job. Our answer is, you'll get to see God's promises in a new situation. In a painful, evil situation, you'll see Him keep His promises. Why does it hurt? Why this evil when I try to obey God, when I try to speak in the name of God? God simply says, because I keep my promises. Good will triumph. Evil will lose. You'll see. Amen. Father, we ask that you would help us Uniformly, to stand against evil as you do. Help us to refuse to make it a necessary step on the path toward goodness and enlightenment. Help us to reject it as you do in our own actions, hearts, behavior. Help us instead, Father, to trust in whatever suffering, whatever evil we're going through, that your promises are real, that you will keep those promises, that we will get to see what you will do to Pharaoh and to all the evil powers that dog the footsteps of your people. Father, we don't have to take the law into our own hands. We don't have to become vigilantes because the answer to our why is that you will keep your promises. You will do what is right. You will bring about salvation. Lord, hasten the day. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask in the name of your Son who lives and reigns with you and your Spirit, one God in three persons forever and ever. Amen.